Lord, you are here, and we are here. May we be here together, joining our hearts and minds to yours. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Who can tell me what gospel we've been in for the last few weeks? All of you good people who have heard me preach, we were in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew. Yes. Now we're on We've moved to the gospel of John and we'll be in the gospel of John for the next few weeks. A very different approach that he takes and... Um, So we're going to experience things a little bit differently in the Gospel of John. So, here we are. Right before the third chapter that we get to, previously in John, Jesus has left his home. Well, he's gone. He did the wedding. He changed water into wine. He's left his hometown, and he's moved to Jerusalem. Not moved, I mean, just come to Jerusalem. So he's come to Jerusalem because it is the festival of Passover. And all good Jews, male Jews in particular, were required to come and celebrate Passover. Now I want you to put yourself in this picture that I'm going to describe to you. You're in the temple. There are people all around. There is a lot of activity. There are sheep. There are money changers. There are birds. There are all of these things that you have to do to make atonement for your sin. You've got to find an animal that's perfect and buy it and get it approved by the um, clergy who were there, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by the Pharisees. And you've got to put your money in. You've got to do all of these things. And you're, it's a celebration. I mean, these people are having a good time. They're in the temple doing normal. When all of a sudden they look up, they begin to hear a noise. And I see a man that has this whip type cord. And he's walking around, and he's releasing all these sacrificial animals. He's throwing them out of the temple, shooing them out. And then he goes to the money changers, and he turns over their tables. Now, if you were there, and as you see yourself there, think about what you're feeling. You're shocked. You're stunned. Who in the world does this? What is happening? This is the temple. Think about this. What if right in the middle of our service, somebody came in from the back and started yelling and shouting and went up to the altar and knocked everything off? We'd be aghast. These people don't know what to make of it, but that is what happened. Jesus says, you're not going to take over my father's house. It's a place of prayer. He's really saying the sacrificial system of giving animals is over. I've come to do something new. So that was what happened previously, and which leads directly to where we are right now. Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Now, I don't know if you remember the old Nickelodeon thing 
But for years and years and years, we always called this passage Nick at Night. Nick is coming at night to see Jesus under cover of darkness. But darkness is important in the Gospel of John because darkness indicates separation from God. You're coming, he's coming under darkness. He doesn't understand what's going on. And we'll see darkness again in the gospel, but it's always kind of a symbol of separation or confusion. So here we are. And Nicodemus has come, and so th- several things are going to happen that are found over and over. Nicodemus is one of seven lengthy encounters that Jesus will have, where there's a lot of dialogue going on. And the dialogue is going to follow a certain pattern. The inquirer, in this case Nicodemus, comes up to Jesus at night and says, well, we know we being Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a rabbi. We know that you're doing some pretty special things. So we know you must come from God. Nobody could do what you're doing if they weren't significantly um, coming from God or coming, having power from God. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus and says, and this is typical in the Gospel of John, he says something confusing. And he says to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, being born, the word there has three different translations. can mean from the beginning. It can mean anew. It can mean from above. Um, But Nicodemus chooses the most basic of the choices, this being born again. How can he be born again, he says. How can I climb back in my mother's womb and be born again? So Jesus has offered him an opportunity to widen what he's thinking. But Nicodemus brings it down to the most basic um, tense. So then Jesus is going to respond with a discourse. And that's, um, he tells Nicodemus that he has to be born again, this new birth, but it's going to be a spiritual experience. Now, Nicodemus still doesn't get this. He's not, he's not on board with this. So Jesus uses a word picture for him. And he says, Nicodemus, the spirit is coming. But it's blowing like the wind. It's there. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. Interestingly, this word is the same word, ruah, is the same word for spirit and wind that we find in the Greek New Testament. They both mean the same. And Jesus says it blows where it will. It blows where it will. And so he gives me... He gives them this beautiful word picture. And he says, you must be born of the Spirit. You must let this wind blow on you and enter you. So Nicodemus says, 
can this be? How can these things be? Barclay defines the dilemma that Nicodemus finds himself in in this way. And this is a quote. Nicodemus is up against the eternal problem. The problem of a man who wants to be changed, but who cannot change himself. But Nicodemus is stuck on the born again message that Jesus says. Now, Jesus says, you know, Nicodemus, you're a rabbi. You should know about this. You know what born again means because every non-Jew who wanted to become a Jew had to be baptized, and they were literally considered born anew so that they could be Jews. And so he says, you know, you should know these things. How can you not understand them? Jesus is saying, I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual thing that is going to happen to you. And Nicodemus' final words in the passage are, how can this be? How can these things be? And so Jesus takes him back to an Old Testament story that every young Jewish child would have known. And he says, Nicodemus, remember the story of the serpent in the wilderness? Remember that story? The Israelites have been, they've come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They've been saved from slavery. They get to the wilderness and they start, well, we don't have the melons we had in Egypt. We don't have this and that. They've forgotten all about slavery. They're just focusing on what they don't have. And they grumble and they complain and they whine. And finally, God sends a serpent who bites them. And then he tells Moses, Now, Moses, I'm going to have you make a serpent, bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And these people are dying. But if they are willing to look at the serpent on the pole, I'm going to save them. Their life will be saved. But they have to believe and look at that serpent. If they just say, oh, yeah, that's great, not happening, they aren't going to be saved. They have to believe and look at it and see the serpent. And then God will save them. He will heal them from the snakes. So Jesus is saying, I, too, am going to be lifted up. And people will need to look at me to realize what has happened on the cross to be saved. So Nicodemus is going to leave and um, go away, but he's not going to end his story right there in this passage. Nicodemus is going to show up again in chapter 7, and he's going to, when the Pharisees and the rabbis and all are together and they want to condemn Jesus, he says, well, you know, can't really do that by Jewish law. And then he's going to show up again at Jesus' burial. And he comes with the spices to mark the body. 
It sounds to me like a man who has wrestled with all of these things that Jesus has told him. And he's had a spiritual awakening. He's realized things anew. He's a changed person. He came to Jesus at night so no one would know he was there. And he ends up following the body with the spices to bury this man who has so profoundly opened his heart and his mind. So the very end of this passage is um, the most famous, probably the most famous words in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that what? That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. I think it was Martin Luther, but I could be wrong, but I think it was Martin Luther who said this passage is the entire gospel in a nutshell. So, am I right? Was it Martin Luther? Thank you. My granddaughter's here today. (laughs) And she's in seminary. So I have to watch my P's and Q's. (laughs) So, okay. So, let's move on. What are we to learn from this passage? How is this going to inform our lives? Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was willing to engage. He wasn't announcing it, but he was willing to engage. He came to Jesus. He recognized that there was something about Jesus that drew him to himself. So he was willing to step out of his comfort zone a little bit. And I think that's one of the invitations that Jesus has for us, that we need to step out of our comfort zones a bit. Um, We're all here, and this is pretty comfortable, right? Before the service begins, I see people interacting. How's your day going? What's happening in your life? I've been praying for you. We're in our comfort zone. We're safe. We're secure. But I think what we're called to do is step out of these comfort zones. The question that we ask is, does what we do in here and what we hear in here inform our lives out there? Are they changing how we live? So Jesus came to impart the spirit within believers, and that is literally to light a spark of the divine within each one of us, a spark that we are to encourage to grow and turn into a fire and share in the world. He comes to fulfill the prophecy. If you go back to Jeremiah in chapter 31, Jeremiah says that God will come to Israel with a new, anybody know what? Covenant. Covenant. One that is written where? On the heart. Things are going to change. Jeremiah, years before, has predicted. God has given him the words to predict what's going to happen when Jesus comes. So, I think God wants to do something within our hearts by the power of his spirit. He wants to love us. Love. And he wants us to share love 
put the hope, pour that love not just into us, but to move out into our neighbors and our friends and maybe even to some of those people that we don't like very much. We all have a few of those. Think about the fact that what we do and what we say reveals who we are in the world. Two weeks, we're two weeks into Lent, and God is speaking to us saying, I have the best news possible for you. The best news, the spirit, the spirit that I've poured out on all of you. This is great news, brothers and sisters in Christ. What are we going to do with it? We need to feel that wind blowing on our face. We need to walk into that spirit. We need to let the wind and the spirit take over our lives and flow out of us the way so that we become wind and light to other people. So Nicodemus's life was changed by this encounter with Jesus. Didn't happen overnight. He has to learn and reason through it. And the same thing with us. We grow a little bit, bit by bit. And as we grow and understand the spirit, we become freer in sharing it. So here we are. We're moving through Lent, week two. We're getting closer to the end. We're not there yet. But this is the call of week two, I think, in the story of Nicodemus to open ourselves, to open our hearts, to open our minds, and to see and understand in a deeper way what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. The forgiveness that we have, the power that we have been given as his followers, and to move into that. And if we do that, our lives will be changed. And... The lives of people around us will be changed because of the way we live. So, here's the challenge. It's week two. Are we going to pick up the journey that we're to be on and follow through? To let the power and the love of God live in us and move out into the world. May it be. Amen.